Amen. Well, let's all be seated and prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Dave, come on up here for a minute. I know you're going to bring the word to us in just a minute, but for those of you who don't know, many of you do, this is uh, Dave's last day with us as our interim pastor. And we just wanted to take a minute to thank you and Joni for your time with us. Um, we have a, a small gift of our appreciation to you. Well, thank you. It, uh, it can't begin to express um, what the Lord has done through you at our campus. So I've uh, firsthand got to experience your leadership, and I know that reach is extended far in this congregation in the short time that you've, you've been with us. So thank you. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your model of discipleship. Um, thank you for... Uh, just sharing all of you with us as you've been here. So thank you. You are welcome. Thank you, sir. You are all very welcome. I'm going to sit down. I had the best week with my back in a long time. I was bringing it, wasn't I, Mike, on the court. I, I was running up and down. And then getting up today, I felt old again. I do want to thank you for our time here. We've had a, we've had a wonderful time, and I've, I've been successful in not calling Joe Ben one time, because I, I hang out with Ben, and then all of a sudden, his brother Joe is in my life, and I, I never called him Ben one time. This has been just beautiful. But it's been fun coming here because we knew so many of you from back in 1998 to 2000, and we've had contact with you throughout the years. And so that's been a lot of fun for us. We're finishing up Luke, handing off the baton, hopefully, to Andrew. There's still a process that we'll be going through, but hopefully, you know, he'll be your new pastor in the, in the coming weeks. Um, but I was thinking back, it was back about Luke 8 or 9 when I came in. So it's been quite a, quite a journey for us. In the weeks ahead, we had actually talked about me maybe staying a little bit longer for the transition to Andrew, but... Next Sunday, my son's getting married, and so we've got that day coming up, and then right after that, I take off, and I'll be going to Turkey, and then I'll be going to Hungary, and there I'll be taking a side trip to Serbia, and then I'll be going to Tunisia, and spending some time working with some different missionaries that are there, a missionary team just needs some support, and then hopefully connecting with some Muslim background believers who are in leadership positions, especially in Turkey and Tunisia. Then I'll come home for maybe a week, and then I'll be heading off to the great state of Alabama, Roll Tide. And there, I will be for, for just a few weeks, but I'll also be taking a, another trip to Ghana um, over in Africa for a missionary or a pastoral training time there. And I'll be there for a few days and doing some speaking there. Then I'll come back to the great state of Alabama, Roll Tide, and then I'll come back to Southern California at some point. So I mean, I'm basically gone for the summer. And I wish Joni liked to travel with me as much as I like to travel. Uh, but for the last few weeks, we've had Joni's mom here, Marilyn. That's been fun for us to have her here. We are hoping that she'll move out here to Southern California. And, and so we, we've just been having a great time with her. And, but I understand why she would want to live in the great state of Alabama, Roll Tide. Okay, that's three Roll Tides, four now in this sermon. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 22 and 23, and we're just trying to bring Luke to an end. We've already looked at Luke 24 back in our Easter season, 
Uh, But last week I read Luke 22, and I want to read Luke 23 today. Again, it's a long passage, but I want us to read through it. And then I'm going to just pull out of this and look at the big picture, and I'm going to continue the principles that I started last week. I think last week I gave you three, and then we just did the Lord's Supper, and I think I've got three more today. And so uh, we'll move through those with somewhat some kind of speed. But let's just look at Luke 23. I love the reading of God's Word, so I don't want to just neglect that. Luke chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answers The chief priest and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man, release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they had asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. 
The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged um, railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. Let me pray. Lord, we do pray in these moments that as we look at your word and these principles that come out of the story, that you would make your word alive and powerful. Lord, all of us have come in here today and we have different situations that we are up against, different struggles that we might be having, different things that we need a perspective on or we need clarity on. Lord, we, we bring all these things to you and we pray that through your word, you will teach each one of us and you'll encourage us and prepare us for the days ahead so that we can be used by you and live for your honor and glory. So open our eyes now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to continue the principles that I had pulled out of these these two chapters, chapters 22 and 23. And I just want to give three today, two real short and one a little bit longer. I want to really focus on the third one. But the fifth principle, if I'm counting correctly, is Jesus obeyed God's word and was submissive to the Father in all things. He obeyed God's word and was submissive to the Father in all things. In this story, that seems a little odd. If he was obedient to God's word and he was submissive in all things, then why in the world is he headed for the cross? Why is he dying this criminal's death? Well, one of the things that's really interesting to see, especially in Luke's account, is the number of times that Jesus' innocence is pronounced. We just read about all this in the story. Look at chapter 23, verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Look down in verse 14. And said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, 
I did not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him. Slide down to verse 22 as well. It says there, a third time he said to them, what, why, what evil has he done? I find him in, in him no guilt deserving death, nothing. Look down to verse 41. We see it again. And we indeed justly, this is the criminal on the cross, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Slide again down to verse 47. We have the centurion. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he, ple- he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. Luke is trying to make it very clear to us. Jesus may be going to a cross, but it's not because he's done anything wrong. This is, an, this is a, a, a rebellion against him. And the crowds are swaying the political leaders of that time. The religious leaders are leading the way in this. But Jesus obeyed God's word and was submissive to the Father at every single point. Earlier, we were looking at chapter 22 in the institution of the Lord's Supper. But back in chapter 22, verse 1, I looked at that verse briefly. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover... And Jesus now is going to observe this. He's leading the way with his disciples. We're going to take this time out of our lives. We are going to observe the Passover. Why? Obeying God's word. Exodus chapter 12. You are to do this throughout the generations. Even reiterated in Deuteronomy. Do this throughout the generations. There were periods in Israel's life where they failed to observe the Passover. But not Jesus. Jesus is going to be one who is going to fulfill God's word. He's going to be obedient to what God's word says. We also see throughout these two chapters, if we could go back to chapter 22 and 23 again, all along the way, we've seen in Luke, because Luke made it clear that he set his face to Jerusalem. He was going, he's already told his disciples ahead of time, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be punished unjustly, I'm going there. And Jesus has put his face to that. And in these two chapters, 22 and 23, we see all the injustice that's being hurled at him. The mocking him, the spitting in his face, the beating him, dividing up his garments. If you're the son of God, save yourself. A mocking sign hung above his head. This is the king of the Jews. But Jesus doesn't back down one bit. Why? Because it's the will of the Father that he was going to be born, walk the face of this earth, live a sinless life, and go to the cross. Jesus is obedient to God's word, submissive to his Father every step of the way, all the way to death. And notice what his last words are, even in verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, Jesus could easily be saying, Father, I kept the course. I kept the faith. I've come to the very end. I've been obedient to you. Now I give myself back to you. Jesus doesn't shrink back at all. And when we look at Jesus' life, the principle that we pull out is, even as the author of Hebrews says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You look unto him. You live like he lived. We are to live that way too. We too are to be obedient to God's word and submissive to our Father. My mind went to Luke chapter 9 
when I was thinking of all of this. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, we looked at this passage way back. In fact, I even preached this passage. It was way back at the beginning of my coming here. And he said to all, so the crowds are coming in on Jesus. And Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, if you want to be a follower of me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, not my cross, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And I even remind you back then that I had been in Indianapolis at that time and um, the, the basketball coach at Butler, we go way back. And so I actually spent some time with him and I read him these verses because he, he, he's a follower of Jesus, but he's in the limelight all the time. And there's the potential for him to make really bad decisions and to lose his way. No, he needs to keep his eyes on Jesus. He needs to be obedient to God's word. He needs to be submissive to the Father. And so do we. We in our lives need to continue on and be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, a few years back, God led so many of you to come into La Habra and to set up a, a place where light could shine. And I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you to stay the course in that. To continue to be faithful in submitting yourself to the Father and allowing that light to shine here in the same way that Jesus did. Stay the course to the very end. Press on. And so we find that fifth principle. Jesus obeyed God's word and was submissive to the Father in all things. Now, real quickly, a sixth principle. And we even tie this in with the Lord's Supper we observed earlier. Jesus ushers in a new age. This is the new covet of my blood. He raised up that cup. I'm not going to eat of this again until the kingdom of God comes. This is a new age. It's what we call the already not yet. When Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. When he proclaimed that, it is here. Why? Because the, the king of the kingdom is here. And now he's calling followers and he's populating the kingdom. It's already, but it's not yet because the king is at the right hand of the father. And he's waiting to come back to reclaim his kingdom But Jesus ushers in that new age. This is what the Old Testament was looking forward to. This is what prophecies looked forward to. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14, when when God says to the serpent, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent, this is what God had in mind. This was going to be the initiation of that kingdom. And it's going to culminate in the coming back of Jesus. But Jesus ushers all of this in. He ends up on the cross in these two chapters. And again, we talked about this back at the Easter time. Why? How does the king end up on the cross? And it's for a very simple reason. There there will be no one in the kingdom unless the king dies for their sins. And so Jesus dies. Why? So that we could be in the kingdom And Jesus has been moving everything towards us. Back in chapter 22 last week, we saw Jesus talking about, or it was actually two weeks ago, when when Jesus was talking about the, the immediate future and the ultimate future. And as he began to move toward the ultimate future, he was talking about the Son of Man. Daniel chapter 9 is what that's a reference of. Son of Man, 
Son of God, Messiah, all these terms converge in the Old Testament. Jesus is talking kingdom terminology. This is happening even now. Even in chapter 22, in verse 69 and 70, chapter 22, verses 69 and 70, listen to what Jesus says. I tell you, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man, there's that Daniel 9 terminology again, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. And I love, my mind immediately went to this story of Stephen in the early chapters of Acts where he is stoned for his faith. And as he's being stoned and as his life is slowly leaving him, he looks up to the heavens and it says he sees the Son of God, Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father. The kingdom is here. And Jesus ushers all of that in to the glory of his name, bringing a culmination to all these promises throughout the Bible. And so what does this mean to us? What it means to us is regardless of what you see going on in your life, regardless of what you might be up against in your life, regardless of the frustrations that you feel or the struggles that you have, or the way your life is maybe not turning out the way you envisioned it turning out, Or maybe it doesn't seem like God is answering prayers that you have. What it means to us is we need to cling to the fact that Jesus is on his throne. That his kingdom is here. That it is advancing. But it's advancing in a world where the prince of the power of darkness, Satan, still looms. And he still battles. He still fights. He's still bringing darkness. He's still trying to destroy, to to steal and to kill and destroy as we saw earlier. But the kingdom is here, and we can rest in that. And there's coming a day when the one who's at the right hand of the Father will come back and claim what is rightfully his. And then throughout all of eternity, there'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying. Why? Because Jesus in his kingdom will be here forever. And Jesus initiates that. And we need to hold on to the fact it's as true right now as it will be on that day when we see it fully. And we can live in light of that. We can know peace and we can know rest in the midst of no matter what might be going on inside of us. I was reading this past week on an island off of the Philippines, uh, Mindano, I think it's called. Over 100 Christians have been um, put to death for their faith. Over 200 more are being held hostage. There's a lot of darkness in this world. And if we're not careful, we, we can just realize even at the end of Luke, it looks like Jesus is losing. And we look at our world today and it might look like Jesus is losing, but he's not. He's on his throne. And there's coming that day when he's going to claim what is rightfully is. He's going to set that up. And whatever's going on in your life right now, it may look like Jesus is losing, but he's not. It may look like you're losing and you're not. Because as a follower of Jesus, you're part of the greatest kingdom this world has ever known. And that kingdom will be eternal. But there's one last principle I want us to pull out of here. And that is this. This is a longer principle. The major battle in life is not what is seen. The major battle in life is not what is seen, but what is not seen. And here's what I mean by that. Satan is 
intensively and actively opposed to what God is doing. And the greatest defense we have is not our offense, but rather our dependence. And we see that unfold here. Satan is found all over the place in these two chapters. We're coming to the end of Jesus' life. This is the seed of the serpent. Wanting to um, snap at the heels of the seed of the woman. But the seed of the serpent is not going to win. His head will be crushed. But we see it so clearly here. But here's the sense that we see. Jesus, if we just step back and look at these two chapters, Jesus is prayerful. Even though Satan's coming after him, Jesus is prayerful and successful. In other words, he submits to the Father to the very end. Satan is also coming after the disciples and they are prayerless and careless in their lives. And I want us to see this contrast. In other words, keep the big picture in mind. Satan is hard at work. Look at chapter 22 in verse 3. Remember we saw this last week. Chapter 22, verse 3. Here's Satan. We've got these followers of Jesus getting ready to have this very special time. Satan's there. And Satan enters into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Now, we could sit and talk for a long time about what in the world it means that Satan entered him. But the point I want us to see here is that Satan is hard at work. He's trying to take people down, steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to take people down. He's hard at work. Notice also in chapter 22, verse 31. Chapter 22, verse 31. Satan appears here again. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, notice, first of all, this is where the English language can, we can get lost a little bit. You might want to make a note in your Bible if your note doesn't have a Bible. The you here is plural. Okay, in Alabama, it would be all y'all. It's plural. It's all y'all. Jesus is talking to Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan's demanded to have all y'all that he might sift All y'all like wheat. That message, Jesus is talking to Simon Peter, but the message is for all the disciples. Disciples, Satan is after you right now. But then Jesus gives a very special word to Peter, but I've prayed for you. And so the reason I think you might want to make a note here, because again, in the English language, the you here is singular. Well, not in the English language. In the English language, it's the same word. In the Greek, it's singular. He wants to sift all y'all, but I've prayed for you, singular Peter, that when your faith, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Very intimate moment that Jesus has with Peter. But here's the point I want you to make, I want you to see. Satan is actively at work. Some people say the better way to translate this instead of sift you like weak is he wants to pick you to pieces. He wants to tear you apart. 
our dog loves to chase things. And when we throw our dog's ball and he goes and picks it up, it's, we get this at the end. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. All y'all, Satan wants to get you in his clutches and shake you like a rag doll. That's what he wants to do to you. Satan is hard at work here. Look at chapter 22 in verse 53. Jesus makes a very interesting statement here, talking about all these people who were opposing him. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour. Notice this, and the power of darkness. In other words, Satan is hard at work. He's moving through this particular time. We could also go back to Luke chapter four. Jesus himself, remember when Satan meets him in the wilderness and we have the three temptations that are there? But here's what I want you to get. In this scene, Satan is hard at work trying to take people down, tear them to pieces. But we need to remember this is true for us as well. 1 Peter 5, 8. Peter coming to the end of his first letter says, listen, I want to warn you. Satan is prowling about seeking whom he might destroy. In other words, Jesus tells all the disciples here, Satan wants to tear you to pieces. Peter picks this up at the end of his first epistle and he says, you know what? I want to give you one. Satan wants to tear you to pieces too. He's looking to devour you. He's looking to take you down. And so in the same way, The battle that we're up against is not what is necessarily seen. It's what's unseen. Because you might face frustrations in your day and difficulties, but what's behind all that? Satan wants to take you down. He wants to take you down in a major way. But let's just, we're running out of time, so let me just back up and see the big principle here. The disciples are in a really bad place as Satan is really working hard. I mean, when Jesus says to Simon... Peter, in verse 31, he he wants to tear you to pieces. I mean, basically, Peter says, bring it on. Bring it on. Lord, I'm willing to go to prison, to death for you. Bring it on. (laughs) Remember when Jesus said one of them was going to betray him earlier in chapter 22? In verse 13, and they went around. That's not the verse I wanted. I'm looking for... Oh, at the end of verse 23, or in 23, he says, and they began, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they began to question one another, which of them it was going to be. And then that led to a dispute among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Betrayal, why never? Why, I think I must be Jesus' number one follower. That pride, bring it on. I must be Jesus' number one follower. That kind of pride is going to take them down. And so what does Jesus say to them? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? So remember, Satan's at work here. They're full of themselves. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, in verse 39, Jesus brings them in there in verse 4, and he says, pray. Pray that you might not enter temptation. Jesus has said, Satan wants to tear you like pieces. And now he says, I want you to pray. And when he comes back, he finds the disciples sleeping. And Jesus says again, pray. 
In fact, in one of the gospel accounts, it's three times that Jesus comes back. Pray, pray. And so in the midst of Satan's active work in this world, the disciples are prayerless and therefore careless. And so Judas betrays him. Peter denies that he knows him three times. And by the end, all the disciples have scattered. They've all run away. They've all gone into hiding. As a result, prayerlessness leads to their carelessness. But what about Jesus? Remember, Satan is hard at work and Jesus is a part of all this. He's he's receiving this as well. In verse 41 of chapter 22, verse 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus' prayerfulness, he is prayerful and therefore he is successful in the midst of all of this. So when we step back and look at the big picture, we see that our battle is not really what we can see. It's what we can't see. And when we watch all the ways that Satan is trying to get his foothold into people's lives here, and we realize Peter's warning to us that Satan is trying to do the same thing to us, he would love to destroy your marriage. He would love for you to deny your faith. He would love for pornography to have a grip hold on your life. He would love for you to lie. He would love for you to steal. He would love for you to cheat. He's out there. And Jesus models for us the life that we need to live. One that recognizes our battle and lives a life of dependence and faithfully following the Lord. And so Jesus is dependent on the Father. Your will be done. And we can step back from this and realize that we must be dependent on the Father. In other words, in the same way that they needed to be ready, we need to be ready. When we walk out of this place today, guess what world we're walking into? A world where our biggest danger is what we can't see. Satan wants to take you down. Satan wants to destroy the testimony of this church. Satan wants to destroy the testimony of your life. And we need to be battle ready. And the way Jesus tries to prepare the disciples to be battle ready is to pray that they may not enter temptation. So that whenever that comes along, you don't go down that path of disobedience. In other words, you remain faithful. Jesus says to them, pray. And so when we step back from this, I think we all have to stop and say, number one, am I aware of that battle? And maybe your posture is like the disciples. Bring it on. In fact, I think I'm the best follower of Jesus. I would never fall. Maybe we've got that pride in our life because you want to know what the absence of prayer in your life is? It's pride. Bring it on. I can handle life. And Jesus models for us the dependence that we need to have in our lives. And so I encourage you, are you aware of that battle? 
And are you one who's depending on your heavenly father as you engage that battle day by day? That would be Jesus's encouragement to us. Be battle ready. Do not be prayerless and careless. Be prayerful and successful. That would be what Jesus would want to see in our lives. To take up our cross and to follow him. To not to put our hands on the plow and to not look back. To be faithful to the very end. And that leads me to my final point that I want to share with you today. It's principle number eight. It's not found in Luke 22 and 23. It's found in my heart. And I just want to say to each one of you, thank you for these months we've had with you. We've had a really good time getting to know some of you, being renewed in acquaintances. We've been so encouraged to see your faith and to see the way you live your life. Hearing of the challenges you're up against week after week, reading the connection cards and seeing people engaging this kingdom of darkness and wanting to shine as light. It's just been an encouragement to me just to be able to sit back and pray for you in the things that you're going through. To see what God's doing in the lives of people like Esther and Evan wanting to go beyond the United States of America into a world that needs to hear the gospel. To hear of people celebrating 60th wedding anniversaries and being faithful to one another. Oh, that's right. High five. I like that, Brian. High five to Bob for that. Just Roger and team week after week back there praying for this service, praying for the needs of people in this congregation. Just hearing of Christine, where's Christine? Backyard Bible studies or whatever they are, whatever you call them. Good News Bible Club is when, when I was little, but all these attempts to get out there. And Jeanette, just her desire to see children formed in Jesus Christ and Evan working with the youth, wanting to see Jesus formed in their lives. That's been a real encouragement to us. And so as we think about just pulling back from Luke 22 and 23, I can't help but say you guys are part of that kingdom continuing to advance. And so we're grateful for that. I want to say something to the young people here today, too. If you're under 20, under 16, whatever's young. Right now it's under 50. But if you're under 20, I just want to say, you know, one day you're going to be the leaders of this church. And so God wants to get a hold of your hearts in a very special way. So that one day, you're the overseers and the deacons that come down and lay hands on Esther. You're the Esthers that's going to India. The church is going to need the next generation to continue to be faithful to Jesus. And so in the same way I've seen faithfulness modeled in so many of your lives, I call those younger generation to, to put yourself in a place where you'll be prayerful and successful as well. So that you can take the baton and continue to be a light for Jesus so the gospel can continue to go to the nations. So I just wanted to say that to the young people. But again, thank you. Let me pray as we end our time. Dan's going to come and lead us in a song. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for these last two chapters in Luke where we get a glimpse of the eternal battle that's been taking place between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Lord, we're glad that that's temporary. 
We're glad that that's going to come to an end. We're glad that one day fully your kingdom will be established in this world. And Lord, I pray for Redemption Hill Church La Habra. I pray for the overseers, the deacons, all the leaders, those who pray, those who teach our children and our youth. I pray for marriages that they would be strong. I pray for children they would submit to their parents, yield themselves to them. I pray that where there's rifts in relationship, broken relationship, that you would mend those to the glory of your great name. Lord, I pray for the light that shines here right now, that it would continue on. I pray for Esther and Evan as they go beyond this place, that they will carry this light to other places that need light as well. So Lord, we have a request this morning. And our request is that you would help us to be faithful. Faithful to the very end. Lord, that we would be faithful until Jesus comes back. So Lord, please help us with that. I pray that if I don't see anyone in this room again until Jesus comes, I pray that you would help us to be able to look into one another's eyes on that day knowing that we'd been faithful to you. So Lord, we're gonna need your help for that. So help us. We give ourselves to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.